he laughed and he said, yeah, like we all say that we love growing, but we actually like the way we feel after we've grown. (laughs) The growing part itself is really painful. Wanted to take a second to start with the definition of perfectionism, Mm -hmm. just because I think that it's kind of, um, it's used in a lot of different ways. And I want to start with like what the actual definition is and then kind of dig into the different yeah. ways that it shows up and then like what it actually is. Cause you hear the definition yeah. and you're like, okay, but like what actually is it? So yeah. the definition of perfectionism from the dictionary is the tendency to demand of others or of oneself an extremely high or even flawless level of performance in excess of what is required by the situation. Mm-hmm. And the reason I thought that that definition was important is specifically because of that last part where it says in excess of what is required by the situation. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of instances of people striving for perfection and mm-hmm. it's healthy in a lot of cases, like if you have an elite athlete, for instance, Mm -hmm. they are striving for a level of performance that is so far beyond what the Mm -hmm. average person needs to strive for. Mm -hmm. And they have to do it in their role to be competitive at an elite level. Mm -hmm. So we kind of have to take perfectionism or the uh, mindset of striving for a certain level of performance in context. Yeah. Like is my behavior, is my reaction, is what I'm feeling in this moment, in this context. Yeah. Is it warranted for yeah. what is actually going on? Exactly. Is it reasonable? Yeah. yeah. So I think that that's a, a good kind of starting place for discussing what perfectionism <laughs> is so that we don't get into this discussion of like, well, I need to, you know, perform at this level. Yeah. It's really context. I really appreciate you starting with that because I think perfectionism will have almost like a positive connotation. People will sometimes wear it as a badge of honor, Mm -hmm. right? The old trope of what is say in a job interview of when someone says, what's your, what's your weakness? (laughs) And then then the answer, I'm a perfectionist, right? (laughs) As though it's like a hidden, you're pretending to demonstrate, you know, a a weakness or an area of growth, but you're really showing that something good about yourself. Right. So I think, yeah, I think that, um, it is worn as a badge of honor. And I think people can use what, you know, that example you gave of, gave of like elite performance, or there are some instances where we do want to strive for excellence. We do want to really, you know, bring something new, and special to the world. Right. And so we use that as kind of like, um, not an excuse, but you know, um, a reason for which, um, we might, you know, have these, these like expectations of flawless levels of, of performance when in fact, it's just not called for and flawless. Like it's unreasonable. It's unreasonable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even that word, I don't, I just like that word. I do too. You do. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I think, um, with me, I was kind of a 
an overachieving child. So, Mm -hmm. and I I think this is a common story with a lot of kids that like school was pretty easy. Like you always got A's and things like that. So I kind of lived under an illusion of perfectionism for a long Mm -hmm. time. Like I was just kind of, you know, I was good at school. I was, you know, I could kind of do whatever I set my mind to doing. And then I became an adult and it was like, oh, actually things are hard. (laughs) You know, life isn't as easy as it was when you were a kid. Mm -hmm. Even my Mm -hmm. first semester in college was really a, a, like, huge reality check where I went from. So was mine. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. It was and really unpleasant. Very unpleasant. Big fat B minuses. (laughs) Oh gosh, yours was even better than mine. I got a 2.14 GPA my Mm -hmm. first semester of college, Mm -hmm. which is like C's, you know, I think just, I mean, for me, terrible. And it was like, I've gotten A's my entire life, you know? (laughs) So I think that there's probably a lot of people out there that do kind of live a good chunk of their lives without mm-hmm. having to fail, without mm-hmm. running up against things being difficult. And so we don't know how to deal with it when they are. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like one side of perfectionism is the the achievements and the, mm-hmm. the doing things. Mm-hmm. And then there's the kind of smaller and maybe even more insidious ways that it shows up, which is um, like my experience of it and, and yeah. what you helped me realize and work through when we worked together was that I had this idea that I couldn't make mistakes mm-hmm. or not even mistakes, but like that, that I had to be flawless and it was in everything. Right. You know, if I, if I cooked a dinner that wasn't good, that was the end of the world. Or if I sent an email with a typo in it, like, Mm -hmm. and that's like those little day-to-day things that it's like, that's, that's just life. And you're not going to be perfect at those. But Mm -hmm. I, I felt like I had to be, but I actually didn't realize that I felt that I had to be until you pointed it out. Does that make sense? It really does. Well, what's coming up for me is this idea of like a perfectionistic tendency, but often people don't, we don't realize that we are exhibiting that because we think, well, I'm not perfect. Yeah. I'm not a perfectionist because I'm not perfect. Look at all the mistakes (laughs) I make. How could I be a perfectionist? And it's like, no, no, no. Like you're making mistakes because you're participating in life. Yeah. And the result isn't the perfectionism. It's the behavior on a day-to-day basis. It's the... Yeah, it's your perception of yourself. Right. Sort of, yeah, which is perfectionistic. Like you're holding yourself to this high standard. Yeah. Which is untenable and creates a lot of suffering and a lot of other negative impacts. Yeah, it created a lot of anxiety for me. I learned Mm -hmm. that a huge chunk of the cause of my anxiety was my own, mm-hmm. um, expectations of myself mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like kind of not letting myself be human, <laughs> just mm-hmm. be a person mm-hmm. and, yeah. you know, having grace and like, just realizing that this is just life and you're not a robot. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 
it's so true. I mean, we hold ourselves, we can hold ourselves to such high standards and then fall short of those ideals because we're participating, because we're writing emails and talking to people and sharing ideas and listening and, you know, contributing and trying to help. And then no one is a hundred percent because we don't work in a vacuum. We're like working First of all, we're humans with needs and fatigue and distractions and all that stuff. And then we're working with others. And so there's factors we haven't thought of. There's feelings we don't understand. There's circumstances that are nuanced. And so there's no way, despite our best intentions, that we're going to cause no harm ever. Yeah. Or not even cause no harm. It can just be like one, one of my huge things with perfectionism is being misunderstood. Okay. I, it ju- I hate feeling like I'm trying to communicate and this person doesn't get what I'm trying to say, okay. or I've sent this email and it was taken wrong or right, you know, right. anything that happens. And those aren't necessarily harm causing situations, mm-hmm. but it's incredibly frustrating because I feel like I'm not conveying this properly or I'm, you know, it's something mm-hmm. I'm doing wrong. Right, right. But right, I'm right. communicating with another human who right. has their own perceptions. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, they missed breakfast that day, like whatever it is. Sure, like, their own assumptions and filters yeah. and moods and everything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 And so then, but then I'm hearing like, then you berate or berate yourself or beat up, beat yourself up for not doing it well enough. Like, exactly. I didn't say this properly. I didn't do a good enough job. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a big thing that you helped me identify when we were working together because mm-hmm. I did have, I had a lot of email anxiety. And I think that that is a pretty common thing that a lot of people deal with is you see an email come in and it's like, Oh, what is this email going to say? Mm-hmm. And a lot of it was self-created because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm sending emails. So I'm going to get emails back. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> or not. Um, And so it was this pressure of Mm -hmm. either, you know, the response to the email that I sent is not going to be the response that I wanted, or Mm -hmm. if it's a a fresh email, I'm not going to live up to the expectations Mm -hmm. of this other person. And so I was um, projecting my own idea of what their expectations were based on my level of perfectionism. Yeah. 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 And I, I never, never identified as a perfectionist. Like you said, perfectionist. How would you have identified it back then? Um, I think that, I think that I knew that I was like a high achiever that I wanted to do well. So maybe that's what it was is I just thought I'm, I want to be good at my job. I want to do well. It wasn't, I have to be perfect. I'm not well, I'm not doing well enough. Right. Because there's, yeah, Yeah. but in, you know, in those circumstances or, or maybe even, yeah, in general, I'm not doing well enough because there's no, like, Mm -hmm. there's no key performance indicator in life, right? You can't look at your day every day and go, you know, I, I did X, Y, and Z. So I know that I'm hitting these achievement levels. So if Mm -hmm. you're, if you're just kind of living your life and you're like, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough mm-hmm. because you don't have a, like a yardstick to measure mm-hmm. how, how you're doing. 
mm-hmm. then every day you're not good enough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this reminds me of our conversation last time about celebrating small wins or yeah. celebrating non-wins, right? Like, sure. Like really designing how we want to evaluate ourselves, because if we just let our brain do it on default, it's likely going to say you're not good enough because this is leading to, you know, why are we, why is perfectionism or perfectionistic tendencies so common? Yeah. Right. Like there's nothing wrong with us that for those of us who feel perfectionistic, like our society is, you know, tells us to perform. We're taught to perform. We're socialized to achieve and like do really great work and, be really likable and not make mistakes and look a certain way and all that kind of stuff. So that is creating these high standards, like all around us, these, these standards that are impossible. Right. So it takes so much awareness just to even say, Oh, like I'm, I'm like part of a game. Like I'm part of a system, right? I'm like being fooled. Right. Into thinking I'm not allowed to have a typo that there's something wrong with me for having a typo. I mean, it's, it's bananas. It's bananas that we would beat ourselves up for that. Yeah. I like that you said I'm playing a game. It's like we're participating in a game that we don't know the rules. Yes. And we didn't actually agree to play. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's like a lot of, there's a lot of factors, you know, that, that contribute. There's the, the social factors. There's the way we've been brought up as children. Like you mentioned, as a child, you were a high achiever and maybe for you, you did well um, in school and, and you would, you know, perform well in different circumstances and you would probably be praised for that mm-hmm. and feel good. Right. Yeah. So that was a way, like, of course you wanted to keep doing it. Right. Yeah. 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 That's a really interesting perspective that I hadn't thought of. Like, of course you're rewarded when you perform well. And of course you want that all the time. (laughs) So you kind of build this feedback loop that if, if I'm good, I, I get, I get rewarded or praised. So I need to be good all the time. Yes. Interesting. Um, I think so there's two two topics that are coming up for me. Um, I'm just writing them down what's lost and then the other side. So the first is this idea because you started with a definition of perfectionism that really centered on this you know this compulsion, that's my word, this compulsion to be flawless in our performance mm-hmm. and demand um, you know f- flawless, flawlessness from others around us in order to feel satisfied and sort of the impossibility of that. And I want to acknowledge that in that is a huge loss because like as people were not flawless, as people were flawed, yeah, right? Like that's humanity. Um, So if we're like denying those things and pushing them away and ashamed of them, Um, and we try, you know, to hide from them, then we're, we're striving to be something that's not even like, it's not possible, but it's also a loss of like, kind of appreciating 
like the wholeness of ourselves. Yeah. I love that. I, um, what is bringing up for me is like in relationships, whether it's friendships or a romantic relationship, Mm -hmm. the strongest relationships come out of going through things together, Mm -hmm. having imperfect moments, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it be an argument or something external that you can't control, like whatever it is, having those imperfect moments strengthens your relationship. If you, have a relationship that there's never been any (laughs) conflict or strife or anything like it's it ends up being very surface level like you don't have that deep connection well yeah because if you've avoided that like you haven't lived (laughs) you haven't been truthful about what's going on if you've avoided all conflict and problems it just doesn't work that way right and the other thing that it brings up is that um perfect is so boring. Yeah. You know, like if you have ever met someone, which we probably all have, there's like people who pretend that there's absolutely nothing wrong and they're perfectly fine. And they're like, you know, they're not interesting people, right? Mm -hmm. They are, um, they're so closed off and you, you don't feel comfortable around them because you can't be imperfect in their presence. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, it's so true. You, you know, you, that's, you know, we often hear about vulnerability and like, if somebody is willing to be vulnerable, we can feel closer to them. Yeah. Um, and of course somebody pretending to be perfect is just hiding that vulnerability. Yeah. Right. Um, and yeah, I thought of that in relation to, um, being a mom, and thinking, you know, I don't want, like I have a girl and a boy. I don't want either of them. I was going to say my daughter, but same for my son. I don't want either of them having unrealistic expectations of themselves, which already I see, by the yeah. way. Of course. Like already I see. And I know that their peers, I've spoken to other parents. It's, it's, and it's not a surprise. You recognized it in yourself as a child. It's like transcends generations, right? Yeah. But I don't want them to think, oh, I can never make a mistake. Um, I have to do everything really well. I have to be on top of everything um, in order to feel lovable and worthy. Yeah. Right? So I'm trying to, you know, include that in my parenting and the conversations. And then also when I've been upset, when I've made mistakes, um, you know, sometimes I will bring those to the conversation, to the dinner table, they might see me and know or whatever it is. But um, consciously, I think, okay, well, here's an opportunity for them to, sh- for me to show them my humanity. Yeah. You know, like I'm, I'm not perfect. I don't think they think that I'm perfect, but I, nor should I want them to, right. Is sort of my point because yeah. I don't want to model that yeah. because then how is that setting them up for a good, healthy life? If they think they have to, you know, if they think like, oh my gosh, my parents are so perfect. They never made it, you know, they never did anything wrong. Like it's just not tenable. Yeah. I think that's great. I think, um, it brings up going back to me as a kid. Um, Mm. one of the stories that I've had for the majority of my adult life, uh, maybe even into my teenage years, 
is that I'm a quitter because I look back at Mm -hmm. activities that I did. You know, I, Mm -hmm. I played softball when I was young and I was really good at it, but I quit. I played Mm -hmm. orchestra. I played percussion and band. I played piano. I played Mm -hmm. basketball. I played volleyball. I had all of these activities and in a short span of life, probably over the course of two to three years, I quit everything that I was doing. And then I didn't really pick up any hobbies again until my forties because I would start things, whether it was a hobby or even like, you know, working out or, you know, any sort of, um, like I'm going to do this thing, whatever it was. And I quit every single thing. So I had this story. I'm a quitter. I'm a quitter. I never stick, stick with anything. I don't do anything. And you and I talked about that when I was um, working with you and you were like, well, maybe you didn't quit. Maybe you just chose not to continue. Mm. Like there's a difference. If something isn't making you happy, then it's okay to stop doing it. Mm. But also looking back, I see that it was a lot of perfectionism. I quit Mm. things because it wasn't fun because of Mm -hmm. the stress of having to achieve. So I didn't, I never learned how to just do something for fun. Like even if I was good at it, if I wasn't the best or, or even, um, softball, I was very, very good at it. But, um, if I made a mistake in a game, I didn't know how to deal with that. Like I never learned how to recover. I didn't know how, so it wasn't fun anymore. As soon as things got competitive, they weren't fun for me because I didn't know how to just have fun and not be the best. Um, yeah, sorry, keep going. No, I was, I was just going to say that that, I think that is a a way that perfectionism can show up. It's not, not being able to do things for fun. Yeah. And, and great point, because I think we often think of the, perfectionism the way we were talking about it at first like oh a perfectionist is someone who is like a super striver and really excels in their career and kind of has all their other stuff together right that's like and i you know an idea of perfectionism but i think there's also this um huge manifestation of perfectionism which is avoidance yeah right because when we're unable to cope with not being not living up to whatever standard we have of ourselves. It's like, well, I don't want to feel so uncomfortable and potentially be judged whether, you know, we think other people are judging us, but really they don't care. It's ourselves. We're just judging ourselves. But I think that's a huge, huge um, problem with perfectionism. Like one of the biggest sort of issues with it, that one is like the first one we talked about was like the anxiety that it can cause, like not be thinking I'm not good enough and I need to do more, do more. But then there's this other one, which is like, instead of the striving, it's just completely retreating, whether Mm -hmm. that looks like, you know, quitting a hobby or just not putting something out into the world. Like I can think in myself, my, when I became an entrepreneur, which was never like, I never really wanted, was never my dream to, you know, have my own business. It just sort of, that's how my career evolved. Um, 
and I'm really, you know, I, because I loved what I was doing, but the, the avenue, like all the things that came with like running my own business and suddenly becoming an entrepreneur, I found a lot of it really challenging. And I found, especially at the beginning and now, you know, I'm have more awareness of it and, and know and have, I'm getting and seeking the right help to sort of move through it. But if anything, my perfectionism there didn't go with like the striving that you're talking about. It was more the, well, I'll just avoid all of the stuff because it might not be good enough because like, I don't have like my perfect customer avatar or like my perfect <laughs> copy for my website or my perfect name for the new business or my perfect format of the newsletter. So like, like, and then just don't do anything. Right. And of course I wouldn't have thought of that's perfectionism, but it is Yeah, because I knew enough instead of just thinking, if I'm thinking if one of my clients came to me, I'd say, well, you have enough to contribute, just work with what you got and do your best and put it out there. But for myself, I, um, you know, I can struggle with that too. And it's like, I want everything to feel like, um, you know, it's, it's a certain, I don't know, this certain level of solidity and like, oh, I'm really clear and it's so beautiful and powerful and, and that's maybe not accessible yet. Um, but I would let that stop me from following through and then to my detriment. So, you know, you were talking about, oh, like I didn't, I, I quit, you know, band or baseball. And then maybe the, the loss, the impact was like, you missed out on a bunch of years of fun. Yeah. You could have had, right? And then I could think of like my business and sort of stopping myself with certain elements of my business and thinking, oh, well, that's lost impact I could have, lost experiences, lost revenue, mm-hmm. like, and lost fun, like that too. But I think that's a, I, so I really like that you brought that up because I think those are two really, really clear manifestations of perfectionism that can look different. One is like the drive to like achieve more, do more, do more, do more to the point of burnout. And one is like, oh my gosh, I feel kind of paralyzed with fear because it's not going to be good enough. Let me just like throw in the towel or retreat or kind of hide or do the minimum. Yeah. So let's talk about some strategies for dealing with things like okay. that, because, um, when you're bringing those things up, I have obviously gone through all of the same emotions and roadblocks in building mm-hmm. my business and, you know, launching a podcast before and, you know, doing anything new. As mm-hmm. soon as you start doing something new, it's like <laughs> 50 things that you're like, I don't know how to do this. I'm just mm-hmm. like, you know, and it gets overwhelming. You get mm-hmm. like, you know, I just want to do this, but now I have to build a website and I have to write a bio and I have to get put like, there's just a million things. And so it's Mm -hmm. paralyzing and it's Mm -hmm. really easy to go. I don't know how to do this. I quit. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the big things there, one of the reasons that that happens is because we, everything that we see Mm -hmm. in the world is people who have already done it. They've had five or 10 years of experience. So you go and you look at their product or their website. And, and you're like, mine's never going to be that. I don't know how to do that. Mm -hmm. And one of the tools that has really helped me kind of reframe Mm -hmm. that mindset is I shouldn't know how to do this yet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't deserve to be at that or deserves a bad word. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to do this yet. 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 
yet, but I can figure it out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's so important to reframe that because you have this expectation, like I should, I should just know how to do this. I should be able to just, you know, magically be good at all these things. And there's absolutely no reason that you should. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I great. Totally. And I think that's a great place to start in terms of what's a strategy first is um, awareness and like reframing, catching your thoughts, not believing them and saying, how can I reframe this? And I like, you know, the one you offered, which is very much like a growth mindset kind of thought. Like I'm not supposed to know how to do this. I'm a beginner and I'm supposed to feel feelings of discomfort when I'm learning something new. This is what it's supposed to feel like to be a beginner in something, you know, and I trust myself that with time, I'm going to, it's going to get easier and easier. And I'm going to know more and more. I like that. This is what it's supposed to feel like mm-hmm. because it's so easy to be like, this is hard. I don't like yeah. it. It shouldn't be like this. And it should, this is what it's supposed to feel like. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Great. So yeah, I think that's one really clear strategy is, is to, to stop yourself and then uh, do some reframing. Mm-hmm. and look up, you know, growth mindset as a principle and then figure out how to apply it. Yeah. Yourself. Yeah. Um, I think another really important strategy is to get help. Okay. Yeah. So that can look like a coach can look like a mentor mm-hmm. can look like therapy. It can look like groups, like whatever it is you're trying to do, whether you're exercising, joining a running room group or, you know, business, some kind of entrepreneurship group so that you don't feel that you're alone. Because again, that will normalize, oh, everybody is struggling or, you know, has similar or relatable challenges right now. So I think um, not getting help is one of the most common self-sabotage that I see. Yeah. So I think, yeah, my checking your mindset, getting help are two really important things to do. Yeah. I would add, um, purposely doing things that you're not good at. Mm, It's a muscle that you have to work and you have to get comfortable being bad at things. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So whatever that is for you right now, for me, it's playing the piano. I am not good at it, but I sit down every day and I go, it's not going to be, I'm not playing Mozart, (laughs) right? Like it's twinkle, twinkle, little star. And it still has (laughs) mistakes. (laughs) Is it actually twinkle, twinkle, little star? It literally is. (laughs) I mean, not every day, but it's that level of like preschool yeah. piano yeah. and I am 43 years old and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm, I don't deserve to be good at it because I have just started playing. This is how it's supposed yeah. to feel. Yeah. And even when I have a bad day, when I can't twinkle, twinkle little star, mm-hmm. that's okay. And the more you do things like that, the more mm-hmm. you can like sit through being really bad at something and then smile and walk away and go, I did it though. Mm-hmm the more comfortable you get in those situations. And I love, I love that, you know, you bring up the age piece because if we saw a preschooler 
working on Twinkle, we'd think, of course, they're doing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. And of course, I'm going to celebrate that. And I yeah. would never berate it. You would never be like, <laughs> why aren't you playing a Sonata? You know, yet it's to extend ourselves the own courtesy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, takes an intentionality because there's this assumption, well, I'm a grown up, like, yeah, you know, but I, I, you know, I should, I should be able to play whatever. Yeah. Something more elevated. <laughs> so I love, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Um, so and then the other thing that I had here on my list is, um, one that I've had to, to really work at, which mm is to learn from mistakes, whether they're actual mistakes or things that you're perceiving as mistakes, rather than going into that avoidance mode that you were talking about earlier. And like, rather than just shutting down and ignoring it and like putting it in the back of the closet and (laughs) shutting it out because I don't want to think about that time that I was imperfect, like actually like journaling about it or sitting down and thinking like, what happened in that situation? Like, what, what do I feel like went wrong? Was it actually something that went wrong? What can I do differently in the future? Were my expectations reasonable or not? Mm -hmm. Kind of just really do like a state of the union on what happened Mm -hmm. and, and learn from it rather than just repeating the same mistake or having the same expectation over and over again. Mm -hmm. Yes. So important. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the gold. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, yeah, that's our learning. We get to learn from our, we get to learn from our mistakes. It's so basic, but we forget that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, And then, and then we can see it as a gift. Yeah. That's the hard part, right? (laughs) Yeah. 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 One of my friends said to me, um, because uh, we were working on something together and I put it out there. It was um, like a, a demo of something and I really didn't like the way I did. And of course it was my first time. I was using new technology and it didn't really go that well. And I forgot certain things and um, he laughed and he said, yeah, like we all say that we love growing, but we actually like the way we feel after we've grown. <laughs> growing part itself is really painful. And then I thought, and that helped normalize it. I'm like, Oh yeah, I was growing. I wasn't supposed to, you know, ace it with no challenges. I was growing and then therefore it was imperfect. Um, so to kind of name it and celebrate it, it took me a while. I was, I was pretty, I was pretty mean uh, to myself for a while about Mm -hmm. that. Um, but now, yeah, coming out the other side, of course I can see, okay, yeah, it was growing and what you're saying, like, what are the lessons learned? Okay. Technically I learned some things, right. That I wouldn't have known before. Yeah. So that's, that's another win. But yeah, the, the growing part is painful. It is. is feel really painful. But then if we can make that pain, not be a big deal. It's like, yeah, of course it feels painful. Yeah. And I think, um, so in meditation or, um, mindfulness, the, the topic of impermanence is Mm. what comes up a lot. So it's the idea that 
nothing is permanent, whether it's a thought that comes into your head or a situation mm -hmm. or a relationship or a person, like nothing, nothing in the world is permanent. And so building that awareness that I made a mistake or I did something I didn't like, or I put out a product that isn't as good as I want it to be. All of those things, they're impermanent. They yeah. happen and then we grow and we move on and things change and you put out a new product, you do better next time. Like everything is constantly moving, changing, evolving. And so if you get caught in like holding on to this one thing, this one expectation, whatever it is, you're creating a permanence in your head that does yeah. not exist in the world. You're, you're creating a lot of suffering over something that is gone. Like the moment it comes, it's gone. Yeah. And then if you're doing that, then you're also, you're wasting opportunity. You're wasting yeah. brain space and energy space and heart space by thinking about something that's no longer there. Yeah. So what else could go there? Like what other neutral or positive ideas and thoughts could be there? Yeah. It's a big waste. It is a big waste. And so it, it's probably a good idea to talk about um, the difference between ruminating on something mm. and reflecting on it. Mm. So it's really easy to get stuck in rumination over mm. something that you think you you know, did wrong or didn't do well or whatever, whatever your perfectionism is clinging on to. Mm -hmm. If you ruminate on that, you're just thinking the same thing over again. You're reliving it. You're beating yourself up. You are just kind of stuck in a non-productive cycle of thinking, 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 thinking about this thing and reliving it. Whereas reflection is you know, thinking through in, in a productive way, yeah. what, what happened? Um, what was my mindset? Was it reasonable in the situation? How can I learn from it and behave differently in the future? Can I, was there anything that I could do taking a, a more productive, yeah. um, look at it? in a way that helps you move on from it rather than staying stuck in it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, ruminating versus reflection. And I think those are great distinctions. So do you have any suggestions for like how to catch yourself in a state of rumination and maybe redirect to like a more productive reflection process? Yeah. For me, mm -hmm. and I, I, I'm sure that this is the same for, for most people, it feels different in your body. Mm. When you're in rumination, it, you know, it feels tense and um, stressful, anxiety inducing. You feel, you, you, you actually feel the emotions that you felt when the thing happened or when you were, when you're in it, because you are actively reliving it. Yeah. Just like when you watch yeah. a, a horror movie and you're scared, even though you're not mm -hmm. actually in the horror movie, mm -hmm. it's the exact same thing happening in your, in your head. Mm -hmm. When you are in that state of rumination, you're putting yourself through the stress 
over and over and over again. So if you are thinking about something and you're feeling that you're feeling like you're right back in it and you've got that tension and that stress or that embarrassment or whatever you felt, if you're actively feeling that to me, you're in a more of a ruminating state. Mm -hmm. If you are thinking about it in more of a conscious and aware way where you're, where you can feel separation from the event Mm -hmm. and you, you might still have some emotions come up when you're thinking about it, but you can look at it as this is a thing that happened, not this is me. This is something I did wrong. It's a, it's a, a separated state where you're reflecting rather than still living in it. Mm-hmm. Do you have that same experience? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I definitely have experience in both <laughs> because I, I can ruminate. Um, I was a highly anxious little kid and have done a lot of work to manage my anxiety with more skill and awareness, but it's still pops up. It's my default. Like if I'm tired, if I'm overwhelmed and you know, if you know, certain kinds of things that, that are like button hot buttons for me, Mm -hmm. um, I can go to it really quickly. Right. So I know all about rumination. Um, and then the reflection I also know about, you know, you know, me and my workbooks, I love creating workbooks. I ask myself the same questions in the mornings, the same questions in the evenings, Um, I do reflection at the end of every month. Um, I do reflection with my own coach. So I think having like little structured ways, like number one for the rumination is to get support for anxiety because anxiety and and, um, perfectionism are often go hand in hand. Yeah. Right. So, so, you know, really prioritizing and investing in anxiety tools for anti-anxiety because it's just, Anxiety is just, you know, it's just horrible to experience. And there, and there are a lot of tools. So yeah, investigating that is one, one thing and, and investing um, in how to support yourself with that. And then for the reflection piece, I think having structured points, I mean, whether it's daily reflection, weekly reflection, monthly reflection, working with either one-on-one or in a group where that kind of reflect piece is is baked into it so mm-hmm. someone could say you know what went well and what are you celebrating what was challenging and why and what did you learn from it you know I don't think it has it they're, they're fairly straightforward questions but it's just taking the time to ask yourself that or be asked that and then and then seeing what lessons what lessons came out of it and then again that's how to convert it into into the gift yeah. And journaling is obviously journaling. one of the great ways to build that reflective practice. And I think that you build it in whatever structure you find works for you, whether it is mm-hmm. group therapy, yeah. coaching, journaling, whatever. And those kind of reflections where you're like looking back over yesterday or last week or last month, those all build that muscle of awareness. Mm-hmm. And then you start to be able to bring it into the moment. So you yeah. can, you can start to feel it 
come up, feel your perfectionism come up or whatever tendency it is, you, you can start to sense it more quickly and be able to, in the moment, go, oh, there's my old friend, perfectionism, you know, and, and you, you start to become aware of your patterns mm-hmm. through that reflection process so that you can, you can make it a much shorter time that you are in it before you can recognize and redirect. Yeah. Quicker recovery. Yes. Quicker recovery. So good. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Good reminder about the journaling too. I know that's a big one for you. It is. Yeah. We've got to find our tools. (laughs) There are a lot of them out there. (laughs) We're going to do a whole episode on it sometime, but I do want to mention Unwinding Anxiety, which is a book and an app. It has been instrumental in helping me with my anxiety. And there are a lot of different um, levels of anxiety, of course. Um, My partner went through severe anxiety that actually ended up being due to um, his brain waves not Mm -hmm. functioning properly. So that's the kind of anxiety that wouldn't be solved with (laughs) any amount of reflection or any amount of, of tools. Um, it needed an intervention, but for kind of our like day to day anxiety and, and the kind of things that do come up from, from these tendencies, from perfectionism, especially, um, the tools that you can get in the unwinding anxiety book, I found extremely helpful. And, um, now that I've learned more about, uh, mindfulness and meditation techniques, I've realized that the foundations of the practices in that book are actually from meditation and uh, mindfulness. So it's, um, it is rooted in science and, um, really powerful tools that can help you shift the way your, the way your brain reacts in situations or helps you get that quicker recovery that we were just talking about. So good. I can't wait to dive into that one. Yeah. All right. Oh, I had one other question that I wanted to ask you. So when we worked together, you had mm-hmm. me take um, a quiz to find my saboteurs. Mm-hmm. And perfectionism is not one that is in this quiz. It's not on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, but two of my top two are pleaser and hyperachiever. I was yeah. like almost off the charts on those. I think it's out of 10 and I was a 9.4 on right. people pleasing and an 8.1 on hyperachieving. Mm-hmm. And uh, first of all, the quiz that we're talking about is available at uh, positiveintelligence.com, uh, positiveintelligence.com. It's their saboteurs quiz. It's free. Um, and it was really enlightening to me to, mm-hmm see these tendencies that it um, calls out because you, it gives you a name for what you're dealing with. So you can kind of um, create a little separation and go, Oh, that's my people pleasing. That's my hyperachieving, not it's me. Um, But I'm wondering if you in your practice have noticed an association with people who are people pleasers or overachievers being uh, or leaning towards perfectionism. Mm-hmm. Is there a lot of crossover there? Is that? I mean, yes, definitely. Um, and to give a little context um, to listeners that it's a quiz that I 
that I use as a basis for a whole program that I run with folks on uh, managing their or understanding and then ultimately developing a better relationship with their saboteurs and a saboteur. Quick definition is um, sort of a a voice within us, a tendency within us to Mm -hmm. self-sabotage. And the whole program is, um, as, as Pam mentioned, you can find out more about from the website, positiveintelligence.com. And it was uh, developed by a doctor at Stanford, um, Shirzad Shamin, and uh, it's a great program. So all that to say, um, I do work with with this sort of model and walk a lot of people through the model to help them better understand why they, why they self-sabotage, right? Um, and in what ways, and just to sort of identify the, the patterns. And so your question, Pam, was around, do I notice a link between the hyperachiever and the perfectionist? Definitely. And the people pleaser and the perfectionist? Yes. Um, I think almost all of the saboteurs, there's different types. There's a perfectionism in it, like controller mm-hmm. is another one. Um, hypervigilant, you know, controller, because they want to be doing everything themselves. Well, that's because, you know, they think their way is like the best way. <laughs> right. right. Every other way is flawed, right? Yeah. Um, or hypervigilant is also one that, that I score fairly high on, which is like a fear that the other shoe is going, going to drop, right? Like yeah. you're always like on the lookout for what might go wrong. You know, everything's going well now, but dot, dot, dot. So that's the hypervigilant you're, you're scanning, right? So that's also kind of perfectionistic in a way, because you're thinking, well, I want my life to be quote unquote perfect and orderly. And life isn't like that. Life is unpredictable, right? We're not in control. Anything can happen at any moment. And so part of, part of, you know, the, the, the medicine for that or, or the antidote for that is noticing building self-trust, like whatever happens, I trust myself to come up with a solution. I trust myself to care for myself and my world. I trust that I can recover. So I think perfectionism really underlies a lot of them. But I think in what we're talking about, oh, and then you, there's um, uh, avoider is another one, which also I score high on. Um, and avoider, so I would say the one, the the profiles that really stand out with the way we've been talking about perfectionism today, I would say the hyperachiever and controller is very much that first kind of perfectionism. Like the, the drive must succeed, must be the best, must never make an error is like that kind of hyperachiever. And then like the avoider and the pleaser is kind of that other kind of perfectionism of like, oh my gosh, I, I better like not make any waves and like, not do anything wrong. So maybe I'll just kind of like sit back and not make myself known. You touched on it briefly, but what the realization that I just had as you're talking through all of that is that perfectionism is an attempt to control the outcome. Yeah. We think if I am perfect, if I don't make any mistakes, if I, you know, do X, Y, and Z, then I will get back exactly what I want. I will get this result. Yeah. If I, if I'm perfect, everything will be okay. Yeah. Yeah. So long as I'm perfect. As long as I'm perfect, nothing will go wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. 
I had never, I had never thought of perfectionism in the sense of controlling outcomes. Mm-hmm. I thought about it in the sense of, um, I have to be perfect because I don't want to be perceived as imperfect, but it, I, I didn't think of it in the context of I'm doing this to control everything so that nothing goes wrong. Like, of, of course I didn't want things to go wrong, but I hadn't maybe made that direct correlation that this is a way that I try, try to control things. Yeah. And I, I love being in control. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I, I don't, well, actually I do. Apparently I scored 7.5 as on controller. Um, <laughs> I always forget that one because I don't want to think about it. But like, yeah, I, I always joke that I don't like roller coasters because I'm riding in them. But if I was driving it, I would probably be fine. Like, hilarious. I definitely like to be in control. So that's that expression of perfectionism is a really interesting thing for me to to reflect on that I'm trying to control an outcome by being perfect when I have absolutely no control over other people's responses, their actions what they do. I can only in the, in the world and the world. Yeah. 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 Interesting. It's good. Well, it'd be interesting for you to retake the assessment and see, um, over the last few years when you've done a lot of inner work and, and outer work as a reflection of that to see how your scores have changed. So I have about, um, six months ago, I retook it and it was almost exactly the same. Oh, it was. Okay. I'm nothing if not consistent. (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. Amazing. So, I mean, that's actually an interesting point that like you can do all the work in the world and you can become very aware of your tendencies. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean they go away. Mm -hmm. You just build tools to mitigate their impact on your happiness and your productivity and your life. For sure. And, and actually this is inspired by one of the premises of the positive intelligence framework that all of these, you know, quote unquote saboteurs, and we can throw perfectionist perfectionism into the mix because it's the same kind of idea of a tendency that ends up like it ends up holding us back and harming us. Um, but it's presenting as, well, I, I'm here to help you. Yeah. I'm here to help you be loved. I'm here to help you succeed. I'm here to help you do great work. Right. Yep. Um, the premise is like, it's our brain is telling us this is here to serve me. And the truth is in some ways it does. Right. Because when we're young, you know, we do need to be, and when we're old too, like at all ages, we do need to be loved. We do need to know how to cooperate with others. We do need to know how to create work and have it be of, of, good quality, right? <laughs> we do need to be, you know, have some ambition. We don't need to, but um, many of us want to have those qualities, right? Yeah. I don't think the qualities in and of themselves is negative per right. se. So it can come from a good place. And often our, our saboteurs are like, they're evolved from some of our, our, our greatest strengths and virtues, right? Like those of us who are people pleasers, like we're also often major connectors and mm-hmm. empathetic and great friends and have really, really great relationships. It's just when that's left unchecked, yeah. well, what's the damage, right? Yeah. Similarly with hyperachiever 
great. Like you want to go after big goals. You want to, you know, do great things and work really hard and bring great things into the world. Amazing. You should do that. It becomes a saboteur when it's like your worth becomes only identified with, with those results. Yeah. Right. And that's sort of where the perfectionism too. It's like, it comes from a place of wanting to be good and do good. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so that is fine. And it's, it's fine to be that way. Um, the risk is left unchecked. Well, will I still love myself and will I still love others? And will I still love the world when it's flawed? Because it is. 